caving or spelunking is the act of exploring an outdoor cave system. Like scuba diving, it requires expensive equipment and rigorous practice. And if you're not well equipped or well experienced, it can be extremely dangerous. Caves are dark, cold, they can be wet and slippery, they can flood, they inhabit wild populations of bats and other animals, the rocks can be sharp, and most terrifyingly, they can be extremely narrow and tight. Despite being dangerous and daunting to some, they are very popular as a recreational sport. In 2009, the Nutty Putty Cave in Utah was attracting 5,000 to 10,000 visitors every single year to explore. Some sources I read say it was up to 30,000 people. Most of these cavers had a good time, but as I said, cave diving doesn't come without risks. Since 1994, an average of six people die every single year in the United States in caves, and that metric doesn't come anywhere close to the number of critical injuries from spelunking. Today, I'll be telling you about 26-year-old John Jones, a medical student with a wife, a daughter, and another child on the way, who lost his life in, arguably, one of the worst ways imaginable. If you're claustrophobic, this story might not be for you. And if you've ever thought about venturing into a deep, dark, and narrow set of cave passages, I suggest you reconsider. This story is a bit different from others that I've told. No crime was committed here, but like each story I do tell, there are lessons to be learned. And unfortunately, there is someone who learned those lessons in the hardest way. I truly think today's case is one of many people's worst possible nightmares. So with that, I think it's a good time to jump right in. The Nutty Putty Cave is a series of underground hydrothermal tunnels located west of Utah Lake in Utah County, approximately 55 miles or 88.5 kilometers away from Salt Lake City in the United States. The cave system is renowned for its narrow passages, a feature that frightens some, like me, but exhilarates others. It's named after the type of clay found in the cave soft, malleable clay with walls lined with powdery calcite mineral. It contains approximately 1,400 feet or 430 meters of tunnels, and up until late 2009, it was accessible via an extremely narrow surface entrance which drops straight down to a depth of about 4.6 meters below the Earth's surface. Due to the type of substrate inside of the cave, as I mentioned, compounded with its popularity, the walls inside the cave had become smooth and slippery, especially along some of the steeper slopes within the cave system, one in particular being an area inside of the earth called the Big Slide. The Big Slide in the Nutty Putty Cave is a downward shaft, pointing towards the inside of the earth at an approximate 45 degree angle. It's followed immediately by a fork in the cave system. You can go one way or you can go another. Only one of those pathways was properly mapped out, the other one, not so much. The pathway that's mapped out down there is called the birth canal, which I can only assume is named that way due to it being incredibly narrow. 
so much so that many cavers have to suck in their stomachs to get through it, push as much air out of their chest as they can, and crawl on their stomach using their fingertips. Before today's case even happened, the Nutty Putty Cave had several incidences where individuals became stuck in the depths of the cold, narrow birth canal. In 2004, two Boy Scouts had become trapped in the birth canal area of the cave within one week of each other. In one case, it took rescuers approximately 14 hours to free the young boy from the narrow passage, despite him being young, small, and thin. Another incident left a 16-year-old boy too weak to walk after a 10-hour rescue mission, getting him unstuck from inside of the Nutty Putty Cave. In 2006, there was a large effort to study the cave better and limit the number of people inside of it. As I mentioned, it was a huge tourist attraction, and clearly, more research was needed to better understand the cave system and exactly how potentially dangerous it was. The Nutty Putty cave system was temporarily closed while this was happening, and a gate was installed at the entrance of the cave on May 24th of 2006. But the closure didn't last very long. Again, it was a large tourist attraction in Utah, and it was so narrow and extreme that experienced local cavers were able to argue that it was necessary to have access to their underground retreat. So instead, management of the cave was implemented to try and restore it back to a safe standard for recreational use, and it was reopened to the public on May 18th, three years later in 2009. Individuals looking to go spelunking in the Nutty Putty cave system after its reopening were now required to obtain a permit, ideally to stop inexperienced or unmotivated cavers from just wandering in there and getting themselves stuck like many people had done before. In November of 2009, that is exactly what John Edward Jones had done, obtained a permit, and brought 10 of his family members to the Nutty Putty cave. John was a second-year medical student at the University of Virginia with hopes of pursuing pediatric cardiology. He was married to Emily Jones, which only happened after a tumultuous proposal that initially ended in rejection, but after about two months, Emily finally came around. The couple were devout Mormons and members of the Church of Latter-day Saints, although John says that he had more recently drifted from the church, likely due to the rigor of any medical school curriculum. The couple also had a 13-month-old daughter back in 2009, her name was Lizzie, and at this time as well, Emily was pregnant with their second child, and she was due in June of 2010. But again, back in November of 2009, John and his growing family ventured from their home in Virginia back to his roots in Utah to visit his family for Thanksgiving. John and his 23-year-old brother Josh had decided to make the most of their visit together and acquired permits for the Nutty Putty Cave. It had been a long time since John Jones had entered a cave. It hadn't happened since he was a kid. He was good at it, but now he was fully grown, being approximately six feet tall and weighing in at around 200 pounds. John and 10 of his family members entered the Nutty Putty cave system at around 8 p.m. on November 24th of 2009. After a short time, most of the family left, but John and his brother Josh wanted to press on. Cavers are passionate about their extreme sport, 
Again, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And through all this investment, some people end up wanting to find the deepest, darkest, and most narrow caves. One quote from John's brother Josh says that exploring caves is like finding alien spaces. And to me, it sounds like it's the same as surfers wanting to ride the biggest wave and skiers wanting to find the largest hill. The two brothers, despite being alone together now, continued into the cave. They found themselves in an area of the cave's passageways called Bob's Push, which is just past the big slide. The entire Nutty Putty cave system after this point is belly crawl size. You can't sit, you certainly can't stand, and like I mentioned before, there are several areas where the only way through is by sucking in your stomach and releasing as much air as you possibly can. Past this area is the fork in the caving system as I mentioned earlier. One pathway leads down into the birth canal, the other is not well explored or mapped, and it's equally as narrow, being 10 by 18 inches big, or 25 by 46 centimeters. Some sources and schematics of the cave system say that this second passageway comes to a dead end. Others say differently. It's kind of unclear, but for John Jones, it certainly was his dead end. Similar to the big slide, this second unmarked passageway is almost entirely vertical. If you choose to venture into it, you're crawling on your belly, essentially downwards, into complete darkness, deeper into the earth. From my research, it seems like John Jones may have mistook this second passageway to be the birth canal. Given that, he may have anticipated it to be less steep, as the birth canal has more of an angle to it instead of being completely vertical. Once he reached this passageway, John was by himself at this point, as Josh, his brother, had been trailing behind him but was slightly further back. And then without warning, John decided to venture down the steep, unmapped, narrow as hell passageway. He inched forward to the 10 by 18 caveway using his hips, stomach, and fingers, more tedious and more slowly than an army crawl. Before John knew it, he had become essentially stuck. He had a little bit of wiggle room, but given he likely assumed that this passage was the birth canal, he would have assumed there was a larger opening at the end of it that he could reach and take a break in if he just continued to press onwards. So despite him feeling stuck, he did what many extreme cavers do. He pushed all of the air out of his chest, sucked in his stomach, and wiggled further into the tiny opening, headfirst, completely upside down. When John inhaled again, he was stuck for good. One source says that his body completely filled the passageway, and there was no way that John could continue out of this position. Given he was upside down, John couldn't back up due to the force of gravity, but he couldn't go forward. He was so cramped in there that one of his arms was pinned underneath him and the other was bent backwards. He had absolutely no room to move, he couldn't go forward or back, and John had become trapped in complete darkness, around 400 feet or 120 meters from the cave's entrance, about 100 feet or 35 and a half meters under the Earth's surface, and was laying at a downward slope at approximately 70 to 80 degrees. And where he was stuck was no bigger than the entrance to a front-loading washing machine. 
At this point, John began to call out for his brother Josh, thinking that Josh could reach him and easily rescue him. But when Josh reached his brother, he tried to pull on John's calves, but the passage directly behind, or essentially above John, was sort of hook-shaped, making it impossible to pull him back up not only due to John's size, but it would also cause serious harm to John's body, bending his legs in a way that could possibly break them based on the position he was in. Before long, it became evident that they needed outside help. As devout Mormons do, the brothers prayed together in a series of requests for God to save them, and Josh exited the Nutty Putty Cave in search of a rescue team. Around 10 p.m. that evening on the 24th, rescuers arrived and began attempting to troubleshoot John's situation. One of the first, Susie Matola, an experienced caver, entered the Nutty Putty cave system and called out for John. Hi John, my name is Susie. How's it going? John replied, hi Susie, thanks for coming, but I really, really want to get out. Susie had been paged for the rescue and dropped everything she was doing, which was moving into her new home, to commence this operation. Eventually, she would be joined by 136 others with the same mission, get John unstuck from this cave. Susie was much smaller than John, approximately 5 foot 3, but even she couldn't fully extend her limbs anywhere near the innards of the cave. To her and everybody else, it was a total mystery as to how John managed to find himself inside of the encased space he was in. A mystery possibly explained by gravity. Rescuers actually theorized that John could have fallen down into the space. Like I mentioned, the area behind or above him was hook-shaped, meaning that from the perspective of entering that space, it would have seemed like a ledge. He could have easily gone over it, again mistaking it for the birth canal, and fallen in head first, likely then hitting his head. Cavers don't usually enter spaces like this head first, so it seemed like an accident, because if John had entered feet first, he would have been able to stand up and exit much easier. Instead, John was upside down, head first into the space, and was now suffering from retrograde amnesia a type of amnesia when people forget what happened in the past, which further substantiates the theory that he may have hit his head after inching forward and falling into the space. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, one of the rescuers, Ryan Schertz, asked John why he ended up on his head. Again, cavers don't enter areas like this head first. The reply Ryan got from John after asking him why he was on his head was, quote, why did you guys put me here? But before long, it was evident that John's problem was becoming much larger than amnesia and episodes of delirium. He was deteriorating fast. Given that he was a medical student, he knew exactly what was happening to his body as he continued to spend time upside down inside of this cave. John knew that all of his blood was pooling in his brain. He knew that his capillaries, the tiny blood vessels that deliver oxygenated blood to your body, were beginning to dilate and leak, effectively releasing toxins from his lymphatic system directly into his bloodstream. He also knew that before long, if rescuers weren't careful, all those toxins could rush back to his heart and kill him. John also knew that as time went on inside of his 10 by 18 resting space, it would become increasingly harder to breathe. 
It's already pretty difficult to breathe inside of caves. They are cramped and far away from open air with lots of carbon dioxide accumulating underneath. But now John's lower abdominal organs were beginning to compress his diaphragm and lungs. The more time he spent upside down inside of this cave, the more dire his situation became. Rescuers tried a few different tactics to free John from his position. They ordered six gallons, or approximately 27 liters of vegetable oil to help him slide out, which didn't work. According to Sergeant Tom Hodgson, coordinator of Utah County Search and Rescue, they attempted to chip away at the rock with a ball-peen hammer, except they only had about six inches to swing it back, and they weren't making it very far, and this wasn't working very well. They also attempted a rope and pulley system, consisting of 15 pulleys, something that was incredibly risky given John's position. Remember, he was trapped in a vertical upside-down position below a sharp hook-like turn. There was no way to free him this way without likely breaking or at the very least seriously injuring his legs. But the pulley system did work for one of the teenage Boy Scouts back in 2004 who got stuck in the Nutty Putty cave near the birth canal, so they thought they'd give it a try. But for John, it didn't prove to be successful. The pulley system failed after little success to pull John up and out of the crevice, likely due to the soft clay and calcite substrate within it. John was able to be lifted ever so slightly out of the ground, but the entire time he was wailing in serious pain and said that his legs were killing him. This was likely due to the position of his body underneath that hook-like crevice, as well as the severe blood loss his legs were experiencing, as again, it was all pooling in his brain case and upper body. The rescuers operating the pulley system, Ryan Schertz and a few others, decided to stop pulling for one moment and let John gather himself. At this point, even if they were successful at pulling him out of the enclosed space, he was, quote, hours from being free. So letting him rest for a moment was the call that the rescuers made. But then, seemingly out of nowhere, Ryan Schertz blacked out and the pulley system dropped John Jones back into the crevice he was stuck in, this time with the force of gravity working against him, and he likely hit his head a second time. What happened was, the pulley ended up snapping, again, likely due to the cave's substrate, something that had never happened before, and one of the heavy metal clips on the pulley snapped back and hit rescuer Ryan Schertz directly in the face. Ryan had to leave the Nutty Putty Cave Rescue and seek medical care, and now John Jones wasn't the only injured person on the scene. Ryan's tongue was apparently split in half due to the impact of this metal clip hitting him in the face, and he was also very concerned about having a concussion given the force of the impact. At this point, John Jones had been stuck upside down 100 feet below the Earth's surface for 19 hours. It was officially the next day, November 25th. He had been deteriorating quickly, he was in and out of consciousness, and the rescue mission was starting to look grim. After this long and this many attempts, nothing was working, and if the rescuers tried the pulley system again, which they did, and were able to successfully pull John out after breaking his legs, in his condition, the shock from that injury would certainly kill him. Rescuers eventually had to come to the difficult realization that 
there was no way to pull John out of the Nariparí cave despite 137 people and a combined 3,700 man-hours trying to do so. The rescue team and police called his family, his wife, Emily, his parents, and everyone else. And they had to break the news that their beloved son, brother, and husband was not coming out of the Nariparí cave system alive. To rescuers and police, this was, at the time, the hardest phone call to make, and even more difficult was having to listen to John's reaction to his wife saying her goodbyes via a small speaker box held as closely to John's body inside of the cave as somebody could reach. He was devastated. He had tried his best through his episodes of delirium to stay in high spirits. But imagine being stuck in a situation and being told that there's nothing anyone can do. You're going to die down here. And that's exactly what happened. After 27 hours inverted and wedged in between rocks in the pitch black, cold, nutty putty cave system, John Jones suffered a cardiac arrest around midnight on November 25th. Rescuers had been unable to find a pulse on either of John's legs for hours leading up to his death. He had been delirious, hallucinating, panicking and then passing out, and doing his best to fight for his life all this time. Meanwhile, during the times he was lucid, he was thinking about every single thing going wrong in his body given his position. He was painfully aware of how his body was failing him. He knew exactly what was happening to his lungs, his heart, his vascular system, his brain, his legs, and all he could do was maintain high spirits, seemingly an impossible feat given where he was situated at. But rescuers had nothing but good things to say about John. They said that to keep him distracted, they talked about his life, his kids, things that made him happy. But as soon as reality hit John once again, it was back into a panicked spiral, because he knew from all of his medical school lectures exactly what was going wrong, and there was nothing anybody could do to stop it. His wife, Emily, who was present at the scene when this happened, had to force herself to accept the news from outside of the entrance of the cave and get into a vehicle and leave her husband's body behind. Later the next year, she would deliver her second child without John. After John had unfortunately passed away, rescuers concurred that the second hardest phone call to make was the one to John's family again, telling them that not only was saving John impossible, but retrieving his body was equally as risky. Quote, if we put other people in that same location, they could get stuck or hurt as put by Lieutenant John Valentine with the Utah County Search and Rescue. Of all 130 rescuers present that day, only six were small and agile enough to even reach John. They had limited human resources, and it was incredibly dangerous to put those lives at risk to retrieve John's body. So instead, the difficult decision was made to seal the entrance to the Nutty Putty Cave and leave the body of 26-year-old John Jones father of two, inside of it, in the same position as he had spent his last 27 hours alive. Explosives were used to collapse the ceiling close to where John's body was located, just so on the off chance someone did make it in the cave, they wouldn't find themselves in that area again, and the main entrance to the cave was sealed with concrete. 
All of this happened within six months of the cave's reopening in 2009. And in my opinion, it should have never been reopened. Everyone who was present with John that day said that he fought to survive with grit, remarkably good spirits, when he was lucid and with resilience until the bitter end. Despite not having his body retrieved, his wife Emily says that John loved the outdoors through and through, and so regardless of the realization that he had to be left exactly where he died, that his final resting place is kind of fitting for him and his personality. The family commended the rescuers for every ounce of effort they put into trying to save John, and the rescuers commended the family right back for their resiliency. On June 15th, Emily would deliver her and John's second child, a baby boy, and she named him John. Emily was able to remarry some years later, with a new husband who is incredibly supportive of her healing journey as well as her communication with John's family to this day. She was able to lean into her faith and the LDS church to find peace after months of feeling like John would be around the corner if she looked quick enough, like he never left. A movie was also produced about the horrific death of John Jones, titled The Last Descent. It came out in 2016 and depicts John's life before the accident, how he got stuck, as well as the intense and laborious rescue effort to save him. I know it was available on Amazon Prime, but I watched it free on YouTube. It was interesting to see the entire ordeal depicted through a real-life lens, although some people online have said that the movie was kind of triggering for them regarding claustrophobia, so you've been warned if you watch it, but I didn't think it was that bad, and if you've listened this far, I think you're probably okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Crimopedia podcast. Of all of these cases I've talked about thus far, and all the ones I'm planning to, as well as all the ones I have floating around in my brain at any given time, this story actually scares me. Be safe. Be informed. Join spelunking societies. Tell people where you're going. Please don't go into cave spaces headfirst. I'll be sure to post a schematic of the cave, as well as some pictures of the narrow passageways on my Instagram, at crimopediapod, as well as on my website, at crimopediapod.ca, just so you can see exactly how it was mapped out. But I hope I was able to describe it in a way that you could visualize. Again, the schematic I'm going to post illustrates that where John was stuck was actually a dead end, but this is debated online, likely a debate that will never resolve, as John's body is now blocking the only answer locked inside of a sealed cave system in Utah forever. If you're interested in cases like these, I would love to cover more of them. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the actions of others. John made a simple but fatal mistake, one that can be avoided with the right education, the right tools, and the right precautions. Feel free to send me any more cases like this on my website in my case suggestion form at crimopediapod.ca. I find them to honestly be a little bit more scary than some of the true crime cases I cover, but equally as informative. But I think that's all for me today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'll see you here for the next one. But until then, I'll talk to you soon. Hey, if you've made it this far, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to my last episode about Blake Sampson. 
I'm still keeping in contact with his family, but be sure to sign the petition at gopetition.com Blake's Law. We're trying to make it so that people who abuse children can't bond themselves out of jail. I don't know why they're able to do that in the first place, but it's time that things change and we be proactive true crime content consumers. So go sign the petition. You'll find the link in my Instagram bio. And yeah, thanks so much. Happy to see you back here again. And I'll see you here for the next one. Bye now, for real this time.